Hi, I'm Dr. Fungfulu Balogun, also known as Fulu for short. Hi, I'm Dr. Oninye Balogun. We, we are, are the Ankdoks. Thank you for tuning in to our episode today. It can be a room full of 100% white, and I'm there, I'm supposed to be there. And so I am hoping that we can can deconstruct and reconstruct for particularly African-Americans and other people of color that whatever room you in, that's where you're supposed to be. Ain't nobody doing you no favor. That's where you're supposed to be. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Wen. He is the director of the Virginia Commonwealth University Massey Cancer Center and the second Black director of an NCI-designated cancer center in history. Dr. Wynne has a long track record in commitment to both community-engaged research and research focused on eliminating health disparities. He is also passionate about training the next generation of scientists and clinical investigators who come from historically underrepresented communities in medicine. Under his guidance, a $114 million training and education program in partnership with Bristol Myers Squibb Foundation was established in 2020. This has since grown to include partners with Gilead Sciences and Amgen. This program was subsequently and appropriately renamed the Robert A. Wynn Diversity in Clinical Trials Award Program. The groundbreaking program is on track to train more than 500 individuals from diverse backgrounds by 2027. We caught up with Dr. Wynn after the most recent meeting of the Wynn Diversity Cohorts to discuss the program, his philosophy, and approach to his mission. Dr. Wynn, thank you so much for joining us on a special episode of the Docs. We are thrilled to have you. It's really an honor. First of all, the honor is mine, and the fact that you see all of us here is momentous. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's going to be good. (laughs) Thank you for the invite, and thank you for for even uh, thinking about having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you guys as well. Yeah. Same here. And I think it was just a couple of days ago, got back from uh, California. So I yeah, just saw you a few days ago. I'm still pinching myself to make myself recognize that it was real. Like occasionally, sometimes you think about things, you dream about things, and it never comes to fruition. There are times though where things kind of happen where you just kind of have to say, yeah, we've been blessed. For me, having a dream about making sure that Black and, 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 and Brown folk and others could be introduced to some of the top people within the field to allow them to have the same networking opportunity as people in the uh, AARC avail course was important to me. Actually understanding that the reality is like many of my heroes, which don't appear on no stamp, people like Harold P. Freeman, when we recognized that our medicine and, and our surgeries couldn't cut out the cancer, right? That you had to get up in the neighborhood and be with the cancer, navigate folk, right? You know, having now a an understanding that while you may design the best clinical trial in the world, and while you may be able to implement that trial, if people don't trust you, if you don't understand the skills and the science 
and all the other things that go into community outreach and engagement, if you don't understand that how an asset map can help you refine your scientific question or your scientific trials, if you don't understand how ultimately, if you can't fix your trials, how you can then go out to people and then how you can be more effective and communicated, if that doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter, but it mattered to me. And so that we are not the second, not the third, not the fourth, but the first ever to come up with a program that emphasizes not only the design and implementation of clinical trials, but also the social determinants of health and all the other things that go outside of that clinical trial and how to align both those things to make us better clinical trialists. Man, listen, if that's not worth jumping up for, then I don't know what is. So, you know, man, thank you for being part of the program. You're so consistent in this focus on the importance of engaging the community. Where did this passion come from? Where did this mission to not just try to treat the cancer, but to also engage the community, where did that come from? Now, I would lie to you and tell you it came from somewhere else other than the ancestors in the family, but that's where it came from. <laughs> so, you know, when people say I have been called, there are other people who this job found them or they found this job, right? This life found me. And with that, it found all of my folk who understood that no matter how educated, as they said, I would get, that I would never forget my neighborhood. And in fact, the reality is, as my grandfather would say, as you got more educated, you need to be able to understand and get the humility and grace to be even more connected to your neighborhood so that you understand what your real purpose on this planet was to do, which was to bring gifts back, right? It wasn't to sort of get gifts and accolades just for oneself, but to bring the gifts back. And so for me, people say, well, when did this start? You could just blame my grandfather, grandmother, father, mother, my uncle, all the rest of them, my aunties, all the rest of the other folks, any ancestors, because bottom line, since I've been 10, I knew what my marching orders were supposed to be. And no matter how which road I flowed down, I knew that I needed to do something that being with the community or uh, trying to have an impact on the community was something that I was called to do. So for me, the guesswork was taken out a long time ago, which is one of the reasons why I ain't never unhappy. People like talk about, Dr. Wynn, you doing this and you doing that, ain't you going to burn out? How you going to burn out when every time I walk in a room, I'm walking in 10,000 deep? I'll never go in a room by myself. I'm walking in 10,000 deep. When you understand that this is not because of me, this is part of what we're supposed to do. We know inherently as we're coming from these neighborhoods or we're coming from different countries and we're coming here, we, we've been told by the ancestors what we're supposed to do, but it's hard to keep that in the center when you have all of the white noise sort of taking you off balance. But for me, luckily, I got a grandmother, 96. She ain't going to let that be the case. So, If we go back a couple of years in 2019, you made history by becoming the first Black director of an NCI-designated institute. What did that milestone mean to you, and uh, why does it matter? Yeah, 2019 was an important year. Frank Pendergast was, I think, the first African-American or Black cancer center director at Mayo that preceded me. But the cool part was in 2019, when I said, yes, I was the only one and the only one since him. That didn't make no doggone sense. Made no sense at all. So the historic nature was also part of the mission of understanding that my success would hopefully result in other people of color, women and others getting an opportunity to be cancer center directors. And if I flamed out and failed miserably, it would also negatively impact 
folks of color and maybe women from these jobs. So what you say, if you're going to step up in the arena, what you got to come with, you got to come with it, right? So you either got to say that it something's going to happen, but I'm winning. I don't know what else is going to happen, but I'm going to still be standing, right? And so I came in with the swagger, like, yo, it's on, right? That's like back in the day, if you were going to step up in the mic with Mike Tyson, you best be ready. You best be like trying to think about, I'm going to be the one stepping out this ring, right? So on that, I actually started figuring out that a lot of people were like, all the pressures, but I was like, how could there be any pressure? Because the bottom line of being Black excellence and bringing back excellence is to excel. So what pressure? My pressure was all I needed to do, my grandmother says, all you need to do is just do you, be good, be yourself, right? And it's all going to work out. And that's why I keep telling everybody else. Sometimes, man, we get ourselves all contorted. Well, I need to look like this. I need to sound like this. We need to be, right? All of us need to assimilate to some extent, but is what is the drive in you? I'm like, if you want me, this is what you're going to get. If you don't want me, keep stepping. You good? I'm good. Because sometimes we can start interviewing in places and we're like, well, that place didn't take me. Well, hey, well, universe meant that the place wasn't meant for you anyways. You got business to do somewhere else. In fact, I always sort of say, you know, how you like me now? That's how we're going to go cool mode D. I'll be like, yo, we're going to do this. And so the places that passed and went to sleep, I'll be like, how you like me now? Ain't no worry because we about ready to do what we need to do. So in 2019 was one of those moments where it was clear that the path had been set forward to say, how do we change the game? Because as I said, it, it, I never will say how I would take the job and how I would change the game. Ain't nothing about me. There was a team with me. There was a team of mentors with me. There were people like Charles Thomas and many other African-American and Latino. I mean, there were other people who was like an army around me, like, yo, let's get this done. I mean, in addition to people like Patrick Lauer from University of Indiana, George Wiener from Iowa, Michelle LeBeau from U, U Chicago. So when I took the stage, again, I wasn't by myself. And this was one of the key things that I think that as people are starting to, quote, move down the path, because I don't say move up the ladder, because I don't know what that means, but move down your path. As you're moving down your path, sometimes we inadvertently isolate ourselves because we start talking crazy talk like, well, look at the pressure on me. I'm like, no, nah, ain't no pressure on me. It's the pressure on the system, too. If the system fails or if this institution fails, or if we as people who say we want diversity and we allow that to fail, there's more than just me failing up in here. And so I think that that's why I sort of say that when I took the job, I wasn't like, the pressure wasn't like on me, the pressure was on a we. It's like, how are we going to get this done? And I never let any job I come to put the pressure on me. Because I'm like, the pressure ain't on me, y'all. The pressure is on the we. I won't do mine. What you going to do to step up to make it happen? And so that's one of the frameworks for young people yeah. that I really wish that if it was one thing I could tell young folks as they're moving forward, it's going to stop all that me talk. Stop all that me talk. It has to be about we, right? Yeah. Because to do a team, you could be a quarterback and the best quarterback ever. But on an 11-man football team, if you're the only one doing your job, the job ain't going to get done. That's true. That's a word. That's and so, you know, when you talk about health systems, health systems are teams, right? Universities are teams. So when I come in to get down, I'm like, yo, I'm going to sling mine. I'm going I'm to put the ball where it's supposed to be in your hand. Y'all need to step up and let's do this. And so 2019 began that pathway, that my journey down that road of sort of saying, I've come to get down, but how ultimately are we 
going to get down and elevate the game. And that's kind of where it all started. There's no I in team. Come on now. What I love about what you said is you're not coming alone. You had mentors, and I know you also serve as a mentor. I know Kathy Tassis that was with you at UIC also came with you to Dr. Susan Hall. We got brother Kareem Watson, (laughs) right? You got Henderson up out in front. Look, we come as a crew. Wu-Tang all day. Konnichiwa, I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Look, when I move, others move, right? They move, I move, right? That's why I was going to say, I ain't trying to creep in the middle of the night. I'm coming as a crew and let you know that I'm coming to do it. That's what I'm here to do. You know, you mentioned that in 2019, you were the only Black director of an NCI-designated institute. What was the importance of that for you? One, it was a, a time for celebration, reflection, and sadness. That in a 50-year-odd programs established since 1971, that you can not only talk about the second African-American ever. Now, true story, if God be willing, it all works out, and we are able to pull off going from an NCI-designated cancer center to a fully comprehensive cancer center, I will be the first African-American ever in history. Look, speaking Now, the reality is I know I haven't pulled it off, so it's all about the we pulled it off, but that's going to be something to talk about and something to shout about and something to be proud about and something to hopefully put momentum and a little bit of pep in our step, not just here at VCU Massey, but around the country about what is possible. 2019 was the set point. 2019 was the point in which I came in thinking, not could I just take care of the place and manage the place, but how could I also come in and help the place become better? I'd have to say that from the president all the way down to the people who, you know, I may be working the floors or working the facilities, people have rallied around and we've become one team and one fight. And as a result of that, I think our research has gotten better. Our clinicals have gotten better. I think our trials have clearly gotten significantly more impactful and better. And I'm just grateful to have been a part of it. You know, then you step up into 2020, could have turned all upside down because, you know, with COVID and stuff, that, that wound up being something crazy. Too wild. That was too wild. No one expected that. No one anticipated that. You know, that's like playing basketball. So, you know, they say like in basketball, maybe in soccer, like other things too, right? You got to be able to pivot. So we had to pivot. I was like, okay, what I thought I was going to do, uh, as my grandmother, father, grandfather would say, you establish your North Star, right? So your tactics may have to change. And you may have to pivot from time to time, but you understand clearly where your North Star is. And as a result of that, it was easy to make some pivots. It was easy then to be more creative and innovative about thinking about what are the programs we were going to kind of come up with and do, some from a virtual and some from figuring out different types of outreach and engagement and many other things to figure out how the pivot could result in us still moving towards that North Star. And I I just say that because sometimes we get thrown off base or we get, you know, turned around. And I'm like, anytime you get turned around and you ain't got no North Star, that's not turned around. That's called being lost. And many of us actually, as uh, as we start on our path, we wind up fooling ourselves that, you know, that you, you just turned around when you lost. And so I always say, we always got to go like James Brown checking in on the one, Bootsy Collin checking in on the one. My one is to come back to talk about what is the North Star? Why are you doing it? And where is that North Star? And where is it pointed? So that when you do get upside down, sometimes you can at least orient yourself by your North Star and keep it moving. 
And what is your North Star? I think I have a sense of it, but what is your North Star? And, and North Star is to, to get down, get here, and to make sure that when I bring it, I am bringing health and bringing the gifts of knowledge to all communities. Yeah, That's my North Star. Yeah, now, How I would do that may change from time to time. But since I was a 10-year-old till now, this concept of commitment to community and not having to apologize for where I came from or not having to apologize for how I sound or not having to apologize for my vernacular and understanding that Black excellence is exhibited in multiple different ways, including if, you know, every now and again, you say the word ain't. The cool part about that is that the fact that the matter is that your North Star in the context of bringing that academic excellence and bringing that knowledge base and the clinical and the science together and bringing it in a way that becomes actually accessible to the community has always been my North Star. And so the reality is, as we're talking about the fix equation and all the rest of these other things, my attitude is if I can talk about it and only talk about it amongst this rarefied crew, then I'm only doing some of my job, not all of my job, because the impact of understanding that or the lack of understanding that, if it has impact in the community, then we should also be able to not only have that impact in the community, but from time to time, having the understanding within the community about what we're talking about. I want to, my North Star is to demystify what it is that we do so that instead of looking as if we are untouchable and inaccessible and to young black and brown kids who says, I don't, I can't be that because, well, I don't have X, Y, and Z. Or that person says, well, I had trouble in my life and setbacks. I can never be that, right? I don't want nobody saying what they never can be. I want somebody saying, man, if I could be Eric B. Rakim, I could also be a doctor too, right? right? So my North Star is really how we can bring the best science, the maximum amount of high impact knowledge, and be able to bring it in a way in which the science of communication and accessibility also are front and center. And it's not just about the molecules, it's getting beyond the molecules as they get to medicines and getting the medicines out to people, that there is a science that also goes along with it throughout the whole continuum. That's my North Star. I once heard this analogy, as you can see, like, I'm the talkative one in the couple. I'm going to let you get your words in, Fee, but I just want you to drop a little knowledge for the young investigators, those who are either looking for their North Star, but I once read this thing, I think it was in um, Habits by Stephen Covey, um, mm. and it said, a lot of times people are climbing this ladder and you get to the top and you realize your ladder is up against the wrong wall. So similarly to what you're saying, how do people, one, realize that they're lost? And number two, how do they get in touch with their North Star and figure out this is what I am supposed to be doing and this is what really drives and motivates me? What advice do you have for them? I'll make this one quick. Find the courage to actually have a quiet moment and be honest with yourself. The reality is most of us can't be honest with ourselves. We're so climbing that we're so worried about how we look to other people and who values us as opposed to how we value ourselves and the impact of that value we will bring back to X, Y, and Z. For some, their North Star might be money. As an admissions dean, I used to admit some students and the reality is they would come in, they would say, I want to take care of patients. And then reality is sometimes, you know, as an admissions dean, you see people over time get beaten down and says, I'm just in it for money. The reflection of how you know you lost when you're not happy. Man, I wake up in the morning excited about what I'm about to do. 
Look here, I go to bed at night excited about what I'm about to do. When I got medical school, I was excited. I'd wake up in the morning, figured out that I was the best student, went to bed at night, and I was a medical student, right? I wake up now as a cancer center director, not thinking as a cancer center director, but what am I going to get done? I'm as happy today as I was yesterday and the day before. In fact, somebody says, oh, the, what were your best days? My best days still are ahead. How you know if you lost? When you're not connected to that thing that drives you, that keeps you buoyed. The reality is sometimes when you coming in and you just slog and you like, I feel as if I'm at war, that's the time to have the courage to sort of say, am I in the right place? It may be the time. Am I at the right place at the right time? And sometimes the hard answer is to be like, no, but it takes courage. And listen, courage, as your girl Renee Braun would say, it always comes with risk. Courage is by definition, a sense of vulnerability. There is no such thing as a courageous act without having some vulnerability and some risk. Yeah. Right. And so the risk is what? The risk is having an honest conversation can now put you in a way where you're like, yo, I can't compartmentalize anymore and I can't take the risk. And I understand this. And so this is why I sort of say everybody has their path of which they will walk down. But I will tell you this, that every now and again, when you, you know, you flex up and you find that courage. You take that quiet moment to understand that it ain't always the name of the institution. Look, when I was young, I chased the tags because I wanted the greatness of the tags to do something to me. I'm at a point in my career right now where I'm not thinking about the tags. I'm thinking about the places that I can help make great. So I don't need the tags to, quote, make me great. We're at a point that you sort of say, no, I'm here to make a place great or to make it enhance and augment or what it's doing. And that is a liberating place to be where you're like, I'm going where I know I can have impact. I understand that when I give a scientific talk, it's going to sound like a scientific talk. I understand when I give any other talks, but there is a level of just amazing freedom to say that I can be my authentic self in every one of those circles. And that is not an easy thing to do because it takes courage to understand that not everybody's going to be accepting of that. And you're going to have to be like, and what? Sounds like a personal problem to me because it ain't my problem. And I ain't going to make it and carry it as my problem. In fact, you know, there was a young song. There was a song that Aretha Franklin would say to be young, gifted and black. And interestingly enough, it's as if those songs and those words were sung, but it never actually really got in a sense where it crossed the neural bridge and actually then went from the neural bridge and we caught it in the consciousness to then envelop that in a sense of your heart. But unfortunately, I listened to the words and those words actually told me exactly who I was. I was young. I was gifted. I was black and then told by my grandparents that not only was I young, gifted and black, but had a purpose. That's, uh, that's deep because we obviously are dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome. And to get to that point where you describe whereby we're not just chasing the tags, but we're actually thinking along the lines of what can I, this place do for me and what can I do for this place? Rather than just feeling like, oh, I'm not enough. It's a gift that I'm here. We're going over that imposter syndrome to get to where you are. And that courage has seen that uh, this is very deep to hear. For real, for real. Listen, we talk about imposter syndromes. I am the descendant of Imhotep. And for many, that means nothing. But for me, once you know, and you can internalize, 
all of a sudden you find a kind of strength because ultimately you understand that this is not something that is foreign to us. This is something that belongs and we belong to it. Medicine, science, the first universities, right? So for me, there is a very, almost a sense of where I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be. Universe worked that out. Like if I'm supposed to be at this university, then I'll be at this university. But I'm at the university I am right now. You know what? And we're about to turn this out. I'm about to show up and I'm about to show out. And the reality is for me to show up and show out, I need the assistance of the university. See, what happens is what they do is they try to put a little seed there and it may grow in between the cement and the crack, but that's not what you came to do. Therefore, if the ideal is for you to go to a place that you can grow and to have a fertile area for you to grow, then ultimately their success is with your growth. That's why I sort of say sometimes you have to help them understand that your success is their growth and that you ain't come here just to be grateful about, thank you for letting me in. Man, please, thank you for letting me in, please. Uh, we That's a whole nother podcast with a whole nother segment. We're gonna that talk about that, that is thing. a whole nother that podcast. That is a whole nother thing for, but look at <laughs> That's where you're supposed to be. Where yeah. you're supposed to be, the universe has put you there. Wherever you are at, that is where you're supposed to be. That ultimately then hacks these needs some refining where your North Star is to figure out, is that where you need to be for now or is that where you need to be forever? This is why it's a constant sort of asking about where am I and where is this North Star? And again, yeah. when you don't have your own North Star, Who's going to give it to you? Your group. You got to have people who are wise. You got to have people who care about you, who can actually help you to see where your North Star is so you can go down that path. But listen, I ain't never been in a room where I'm like, I don't belong. Ever. It can be a room full of 100% white and I'm there. I'm supposed to be there. And so I am hoping that we can deconstruct and reconstruct for particularly African-Americans and other people of color that whatever room you in, that's where you're supposed to be. Ain't nobody doing you no favor. That's where you're supposed to be. And if there's any pretenders, then ultimately when people start talking about health disparities and other things like that, diversity, things that I know that I grew up with in my hood, and now you're trying to talk about it, you try trying to put some terms around it, then I'm the one with no imposter syndrome. I lived it. So imposter to what? Right? I hear you. We are bringing the knowledge that we actually had from our hometowns or from our universities, from our families, and we go to college so that we can put tags on it. But the knowledge had already been baked in you before you went there. The wisdom has already been shown about how do you actually think about knowledge? We're going for content expertise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get the content expertise confused with overall sense of knowledge. Yeah. You don't come to these settings to play small. But sometimes you get the message, right, that you need to conform. So I love seeing things like your Facts and Faith Fridays. That's something that's unique that only you could do. Who else could come and say that unless they had your background and they really tapped into what it is that they deeply felt they needed to do? And so I know your Facts and Faith Fridays, you know, hosted people, the likes of like Tony Fauci, Jill Biden, our wonderful first lady. I just wonder what other innovations have you put in place at Massey BCU? One thing that we saw and we heard of was your partnership, you know, with an HBCU in the area. And that's not something that commonly happens. So why did you want to do that? And, and what other innovations have you brought with you to really chase that North Star of health? 
Thank you for asking that. For me, it is the, the buckets of what's the research, what's the clinical, what's in our education, what's in our outreach. When it came to the outreach, it was clear back in the day, early 2020, you know, I think we started Facts Faith Friday somewhere around May, that the faith-based leaders didn't know where to turn. And they were asking the health professions, can I return safely to continue church services? And there was no one. And believe me, I'm not an infectious disease person. So, you know, I was like, yo, man, y'all asking the wrong guy. And then I had to laugh at myself and stop myself and check myself and be like, it was clear to me that they didn't know who to go to. Yeah. And that ultimately, not only if they went to quote the right person, that right person might not have the same, and I'm going to use this word because I meant it deliberately, the same spirit and trust. Yes. So then I said, let's do it again as a team. So with F. Todd Gray from the famous Fifth Street Baptist Church and Dean Mercer Haynes, who's, I mean, just an amazing community activist and lawyer, we got together and decided that we would do something and commit to one another that I may not have the information. I was upfront with that, but I would bring the information because I had the network. That's one example. I think that the program that Bristol Myers Script Foundation sort of helping to put together and help, I mean, they running that joint. I mean, it's kind of nice. Was the whole thing about what happens if you flip the script and now you put a community-centric spin on clinical trials so that you're not just having individuals design trials and implement without some awareness of the community. That was another thing. I think that working with Virginia State University, come on now, VSU, it was the first HBCU in the entire United States to be state funded. I didn't know that. Right? After the Civil War. It was part of the Mural Act and all the rest of that, the land-grant institution. It was one of the early land-grant institutions to Blacks, but it was also the first of the HBCUs to ever actually have the state actually pay for it. And so for me, there was historical value in knowledge that they were generating the next generation of scientists. Some of them didn't even know that the health field or that this was a possibility for them. And so the North Star is to do what someone did for me. And that is they saw something in me before I saw it in myself. And so my North Star is always to, I can't make somebody do anything, but I definitely know that if I don't show somebody something, that may not even be in their realm of possibility. My job, part of the North Star, and all of us as leaders and, and young leaders and middle-aged leaders and older leaders, is to, from it comes with the people who are behind, to show what's possible. I'm not showing that you have to do it. I'm just saying that it's possible. And if you make it both possible and accessible, come on now. You don't set a fire to something. That's why I say I ain't got to make nobody do nothing. All I got to do is make it possible and accessible. And they're like, man, if that dude could do it. And in fact, people say well, Rob, you, you may give a misimpression. I'm like, first of all, what do you think LeBron does every night? Every night. He makes people believe that it's possible. Now, when you watch LeBron, he's gliding and he's making these things. You don't see the 10, 20,000 hours of work that he's actually got behind all that. So why is it that in science, things that we profess that we love, that we make it seem impossible and so hard? I got rid of that language about how hard it is and how impossible, right? Because if you want to have people do it, then you have to be like a duck, right? Floating on the water. People are like, man, that now he look cool doing that because that is the purpose. Why would I actually want to do something that looks hard and that you think sucks? 
And then we keep talking about young African-American girls and boys who don't go into the field. If, if all I got to do is whine about how hard it is and I'm singing, you know, a whole bunch of Negro spiritual songs and a whole lot of other things <laughs> talking about man, all oh, we've in the valley, you know, then why would we actually make anything exciting for Barack Obama to become president? Took tremendous amount of work, but he made it look that it was possible, that it was accessible. And I think if there's one message that comes from me about what I would really like for all of us, particularly our younger faculty and younger people coming up the ranks and fellows and all the rest of that stuff, it's to check yourself and understand that other people are watching. I'm not saying not to talk about the difficulties in it. I'm not saying not to talk about the truths. I'm not talking about being truthful, but truthful don't always necessarily mean you have to be negative, nasty, and disappointed and disillusioned. Bottom line is that it is also up to us to recognize that there is some goodness within that struggle. That struggle allows us to be at the table, not so much that we can sit at the table to eat from it, but to prepare the table for others to follow. As we are in more of these places with authority and resources, we can do more good. There is also good in the struggle. There's also good in the struggle. So, you know, sometimes we got to quit accentuating on what we lack and start talking about what we pack it. That's how you get imposter syndrome, by the way, right? It's your equation. Back in the day, we would sort of say, back in the day with Rakim, you know, and Egg B, we would say, your math is off. Your numbers are off because you accentuate on what you lack in and you forget about the equation, about all the stuff you pack in, which means you go up in a room already giving away your gift and giving away your strength and giving away your blessings. Because you already decided that what you are packing ain't good enough. And so if there's any one thing is to reframe our conversations about us being imposters, how are you going to be the original man and be an imposter? Now, listen, if you feel you imposter, let me just hit you up on this. You might be an imposter, but your mission certainly isn't. So get with it. If you can't get with you, at least get with the mission and find strength through that. Well said. I'm going to start calling you Pastor Wynn from now on. <laughs> Let's pass the offering plate. Fee, come get the offering plate. <laughs> you know, the other thing is, if I could just get it real quick, find happiness too. Yeah. There is happiness in the struggle. You know, the reality is what we do is also fun. We are blessed. How many people look for every one of the struggles we have, for every one of the slights we have, imagine us not having in white clothes or those terminal titles and what happens. We know. So, you, you know, first of all, you will always be unhappy if you don't recognize how blessed you are. So act like it. When I say to most young black and brown folk and, and women that are actually in these positions is that you do understand how rare that is. And that means by definition, you have been favored. Now, what have you been favored to do? You've been favored to produce. You've not been favored because your hair looks so great or your eye has a twinkle or you got a pep in your step. That's not why you got favored. You got favored to be at that table to produce. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. books about how to handle failure. But I still think that what we are still dealing with as a people is how do we deal when we're sitting at these tables and we are favored? Mm -hmm. How does one then handle favor? And in fact, that is actually one of the conversations that as I move forward and talking to young people, that is something that I'm not giving up on. How do you actually handle favor, right? Don't get that colonized mind trickery going. You know what I'm saying? We have been favored. Act like it. That's a word.
we have been favored, act like it. Yes, indeed. I have, I've come to understand and accept that every time I see you, Dr. Wynn, two things. Number one, whatever I thought we we're going to talk about, just throw it out the window. <laughs> just throw it out. It's not going to happen. Number two, I will come out of there feeling like I came out in church and with so many, you know, inspirational le- lessons. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Wayne. Always, always. Thank you. I'll stay on script the next time. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity of being able to talk with you. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Appreciate it.